I wanted you to give us a call. Five seven zero five one one, baby. Give us a call. Five seven zero five one one, hun. Y'all heard. heard a podcast where me, Marissa Phillips, and me, Pete Phillips, are festively not related. And you're listening to a show that dives from the highest of heights into the vast ocean of happenings around the world and plucks a gem from the bottom. We rise slowly and safely to avoid death, and then we share with you that gem. I just want to say that it would have also been appropriate if you said we die from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, because that also applies. But any- well, I mean, it's the bottom of the friggin' ocean. What the hell do you want? Oh, yeah. I just wanted to say <laughs> that we, we, we cover some low, some deep stuff. In other words, we tell you things you didn't know you needed to know. Pete, how are you? I'm okay. Um, I am traveling. For Thanksgiving, taking mm-hmm. next week off from work. Nice. And uh, whenever I'm traveling, I have tons of anxiety. The whole like week leading up to it. Why? Am I going to bring the right clothes? Do I? Did yeah, I bring me- all the right? And like a lot of the anxiety, I can't address until the last day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm I'm grappling with that right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um. Oh, and then the other one that I always put on myself is that I have to eat everything in my refrigerator so that it doesn't go bad while I'm gone. Throw it out. Or you freeze it. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of logical explanations, Marissa. Well, say how I am. We can come back to you if you have more, but just it could directly link. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I went to go get my COVID booster shot a little bit ago. And... I had anxiety leading up, I guess, because I didn't know. I didn't know if someone was going to be at the check-in window at CVS. And sometimes you go in the check-in window and no one pays any attention to the check-in window. And you're standing there for like 10 minutes. And you're like, am I a dumbass? Am I supposed to go to the drop-off window and say I need help? But then if I do that, then they're like, no, you need to go to the checkout window. Anyway, so then I got my booster. Then I had anxiety again because I needed to get an Uber home. And there's no easy way for them to stop. And I get really anxious. Oh, yeah, I I would too. Yeah, about like stopping traffic. And I was nauseous. And I think it's partially because I drink too much caffeine. But I was like, this is the life I live. This is the life I live where I'm anxious about what window to go in CVS. And it (laughs) physically. Manifest, and then I am physically nauseous because my Uber, and I was like, "Boy, my life is stupid." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, let's just go to an icebreaker <laughs> <laughs> and run away from ourselves. So, Marissa, as you may remember, or whatever, Alex was talking about how he was, um, how he used to look forward to Christmas, but now that he can kind of, like, buy 
things for himself. He doesn't really look forward to Christmas, you know. And I had that revelation, I think, maybe during COVID, maybe a little before that. Uh, I'm sorry, during (laughs) the lockdown, because COVID is still happening, everybody. Yeah, thank Um, you. And I was like, man, when I was a kid, I always wanted to buy comic books, but like it was my mom's money. I didn't have the money. So, um, so I started buying comic books, started reading comic books, been doing that for a little while. So Marissa, I'm going to ask you a superhero question. Okay. I like go with whatever, you know, great. We got a car alarm. Good. (laughs) So I'm going to answer the icebreaker first because I feel like it's kind of part of the question. Okay. I was looking at some Batman stuff and like Batman's been through some crazy stuff, you know, like mm-hmm. his dead parents and all that stuff to start. But then like they put him through some alternate, like they also have like a an alternate universe or something and there was like an evil Batman over there. <laughs> universe am i right (laughs) um and then like so anyway there was just a bunch of this stuff but the thing that oh it always sort of seems to come down to is that batman is like always brooding and dark and sometimes i'm just like get the fuck over yourself man i know (laughs) robert pattinson in the new one and so i thought is there a superhero that you would like to give like kind of a different personality to hmm that's a good question Uh, and mine would be batman and i think like i would like him to battle crime but i would also like to see more of um i don't know maybe like charity appearances um (laughs) i'd like to see more of bruce wayne rebuilding all the things that batman ends up breaking like structures and stuff um yeah i think that's i got this one comic book too that kind of like covered the scope of batman's life they they do this thing and it's not good they just take the whole entire life and then squash it into one book and you're like what the hell yeah there are anyway (laughs) so um yeah, I would like to see more lightheartedness. And then I thought, why don't they do that? And I think it's because people like the dark, brooding Batman. But, like, you know, sometimes you see that in the Justice League, too. They're like, dude, could you just get your head out of your ass and, like, stop being such a baby? <laughs> I mean, I just wish Superman could get his head out of his ass. But I care about him so little, I won't even waste it on that. Because I almost like no one on DC. Uh, except for... Satana and Wonder Woman and I don't know enough about Wonder Woman in the comics but boy do I wish Gal Gadot had some flaws in the fucking movie (laughs) but (laughs) I felt like I identified with Kristen Wiig in part two if you have you seen part two yeah and I was like yeah come on but um as the comics like that would be that would be an interesting one I wish that, like, Wonder Woman gained, like, 50 pounds. I know, right? Like, (laughs) it's hot and perfect and everything. Um, But I, going more comic, and I don't know where where things stand with her currently in the comics, um, 
but I know that growing up, 90s, except for some exceptions, which I'll go back on, 90s Storm always seemed so, like, stoic and had a strong moral compass, but also just seemed so far removed from, like, your your average superhero. Like, I just felt like she never really, like, broke down with anyone. And, like, yeah. she never really had many love affairs, except, I don't know if it was the 80s or the 90s, where she had a brief love affair with Forge, which was, she finally had some vulnerability. Did you ever read that comic? I know, it's like no. a, a specific love arc. And then also in Days in Future of Future Past, Storm and Wolverine, two very characters who lacked any vulnerability, uh, were in love with each other, and that really hit me hard. So really, I would just love Storm to show more, more vulnerability and be a little more relatable, but also have a love affair with anyone. I mean, she did look like... But I want, like... I don't know, with anyone she's generally with? Like, I just feel like, why is Storm never, like, getting close to her ex fellow X-Men? Again, maybe it did change in the comics now, but I never really felt a closeness between Storm and the other X-Men. Uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. I see that. And I think part of it is because she kind of is better than that. <laughs> She's got, like, the wisdom of Beast, but, like, is also cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. She's so she can't really, like, nobody else is on her level, man. I guess. Also, I hate Scott Summers, but, I, again, I don't want to waste that. I just hate him. So he can just go away. <laughs> um... I read, I thought it was going to be a really interesting comic, so I I got uh, Children of the Atom, and um, I could tell you what it's about, but it's not important. But Storm shows up in it, and she's almost kind of like a, maybe like, like a Steve Jobs kind of figure, like, you know, like providing some semblance of like progressive like 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 a move towards the future and like optimism and that sort of thing and mm -hmm. it's kind of like cool but yeah it's still not a situation where she kind of like actually the closest you get to it is she gives um one of the kids her like card or her contact information or something so that if the kid needs any help they can get a hold of her and uh and i was like wow that's unexpected you know, Lenora has fun with Storm. Right, yeah. Um, you know, I have another one. Okay. Where Wolverine is missing. And I think it's Kitty Pride, Storm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But a bunch of people and, and like <laughs> a bunch of the, a bunch of just women go to look for him in one spot. And they, like, dress up like they're going to the club and stuff. But she still doesn't really let loose. You're right. Why do they dress up like they're going to the club? Because they were going to a club. Um, oh. at, like, sort of, like, for recon. Um, guys, do we all remember when Halle Berry was first Storm in the first X-Men movie? And she tried to have the accent that Storm has from where... <laughs> in Africa, but then, like, I forgot if it was mid-movie or just the next movie that she gave up and then didn't have the accent. Good I move. hated that casting with every fiber of my being. Mm. And Angela Bassett should have been Storm. Anyway, Pete, I gotta tell you something. 
I can't wait to listen to it. Oh, just for everybody to know, we're recording two in one week. And so if you call in reference to any of these topics or episodes, it's, we're going to get to you in a while. <laughs> yeah, okay. Hopefully you're still alive, Cassie. <laughs> well, yes, I did talk to her before the show. She's alive. Um, Peter, take a moment. I'm sorry? I'm so- Peter, Is there somebody else on the call? Take a moment to tell me about your darling mother. And when you're done, ask me to dance. Are we clear? Wait, let's try that again. Did you say my mother? <laughs> Peter, take a moment to tell me about your darling mother. And when you're done, ask me to dance. Are we clear? It's very easy to either slip into a southern accent. <laughs> that's a really, that's a really messed up scenario, Marissa. Yeah. Tell me about your mother and then ask me to dance. <laughs> anyway, everyone, <laughs> the transatlantic or mid-Atlantic accent all day. That is, that was my attempt to write out a sentence using it. Um, Contrary to popular belief, apparently, you don't need to talk incredibly fast in the accent. I was telling Bryant, who was on our past uh, episode, uh, oh, yeah, I'm, tra- I'm learning about this accent. And he sends me this voice clip, which I kind of wish I sent to you. And it sounds like he's a um, auctioneer. But I will say, I immediately... Oh, okay. So we're talking like, in that situation, are we talking oh, like an old-timey I- film? Yeah, well, we're getting to there, but yeah. Yeah, no, I could see somebody speeding that up. Yeah, you often they are talking fast, but you don't have to. That's because you didn't. You just only had so much time on on a reel those days. I guess that's true. But yeah, I might not have aced it, but I tried, guys. So basically, in the golden age of Hollywood, scores of actors adopted a fictionalized upper crust made up accent. Uh, stars including Katherine Hepburn, Cary Grant, Betty Davis, and Orson... Orson? <laughs> what? That's not part of the accent. Orson Welles employed what's known as a, like I said, mid-Atlantic or transatlantic accent, which is a sort of American-British hybrid. <clears throat> um, this this made-up accent was said to blend together features regarded as most prestigious from both American and British English. Do <clears throat> um, you mean British English? Yeah, under British English. <laughs> it is not a native or regional accent. Rather, according to the voice and drama professor Dudley Knight, quote, it's no. early ad get another what? get another source. Why? Because that person's not real. Why? Dudley Knight? Shut up. It's not Dudley Do Right. <laughs> anyway, it's early. It's Dudley Do Right's porn name. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Whoa! It's early. It's advocates brag that its chief quality was that no Americans actually spoke it unless educated to do so. The accent was embraced in private, independent preparatory schools, especially by members of the northeastern upper class, as well as in schools for film. And stage acting. Uh, <clears throat> um, I, some other people, 
Jackie Kennedy Onassis and Julia Childs, apparently. I can't really remember what Julia Childs sounded like, though. Uh, I just remember she had, like, a another kind of weird... She had a really high, nasally voice, didn't she? When you say Julia Stiles... Stiles! That's Julia Stiles? Julia Childs. No, that's an interesting topic. You should cover Julia Stiles one week. Because she still works. But, um... What? Julia Childs, I think of Mrs. Doubtfire taking her face out of the green pie and going, hello! <laughs> yeah, that is what Julia Childs sounds like. Thank you. <laughs> um, in this accent, uh, some of the characteristics are dropping the H's from words. Uh, so the pronunciation of words like human or huge. Uh, huge. Yeah, huge. Kind of it's like huge. Part. Yeah, and uh, dropping the R in words, so that's why I said pita, and softening the vowels. Wooster. That's rooster. Wo- oh, they said wooster. Rooster or wooster? Wooster. I don't know what you're saying. Staccato T's and accordion stretched A's dance. Um, <laughs> perhaps early. Things like that. Um, <laughs> so why were rich people cultivating fake British accents? Um, so starting at the beginning of the 20th century, classical theater actors were in the habit of imitating upper class British accents on stage. Uh, many of them followed the teachings of Australian phonetician William Tilly, who introduced to her, I heard that, that, that staccato T. Tilly, who introduced a phonetically consistent standard of English called World English that would eventually oh, come... That sounds controversial. I know. Come to, quote, define the sound of American classical acting for almost a century. Interesting. As, as part of the New World Order. <laughs> nice. Part. Perfectly. See, I also sometimes sound like I have a Boston accent. I cannot be consistent with my pronunciation. You just absorb every accent from every place you go. <laughs> Pretty much. You have multiple personality accent disorder. <laughs> I don't mean because I go to Boston all the time. I just mean like saying pot. Also sounds like pot. I feel like it's very, very fine. You bring that delicacy to your French accent, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. Um, So, yeah, uh, this way of speaking, he said, would come to, quote, define the sound of American classical acting for almost a century. Uh, He actually had no interest in acting, um, but he boldly labeled world English as class-based acting. So basically, people who picked up this accent uh, show that they were educated cultivated or a cultured person um like i said before world uh, world english which would eventually kind of morph itself into the transatlantic accent um found favor in uh new york prep schools and the upper echelon in society um but basically there was like a major cinematic event that would make this even more widespread in 1927, Warner Brothers and the Vitaphone Corporation released the very first feature-length talkie. Uh, so that's a, a movie with sound. And this is a black-and-white film called The Jazz Singer. Uh, 
It released signaled the end of the silent film era and the ushering in of sound films. For the first time ever, the voices of cinema superstars started to be heard on the big screen. And believe it or not, or maybe you could believe it, uh, many actors were really less than thrilled to have to talk on stage. Uh, you know, if you have a whole a whole um, career with silent film, and it's about like making big expressions and gestures, like suddenly talking as this whole new layer to it. Um, you could have really what, annoying voice. I mean, yeah, that too. You could be Claire, like really good looking, but then you're like, a dark, dark, dark. Then they, could, then they could dub you. Um, Clara Bow, who was a superstar in the 20s uh, in the silent film era. Have you gotten it, off the jazz singer? Yes. Okay, good job. Um, Just skirt it around. <laughs> yep. It's just because I was the first one with words. That's <laughs> all you have to say about that. That was what... But not the last one with blackface. <laughs> Oh, oh, is that with blackface? <laughs> See, I thought it was going to, but the article didn't mention anything else, so I was like, it must not be a big deal. Maybe it's just a white jazz singer. Okay, glad I didn't. Yeah, okay. Was, <laughs> was your source for that, like, thegrandwizard.com? No, my source was, like, Atlantic.com or something. <laughs> anyway, whatever. Let's, that's horrible. Um... Anyway, Clara Bow was a uh, famous silent movie star, and she really hated talkies. Now, what I love is about Clara the Bell, Goofy's girlfriend. Oh, Clara Bell, not Clara Bow. Maybe it's based off of that. <laughs> I love that. This this is straight out of the article. Um, and in 1930, at only 25 years old, her career came to an abrupt end when she was admitted to a sanatorium. Then they move on. And they vaguely seem to make it, like, imply that the talkies made her go to a sanatorium, but offer no more details about that. So this is this is very close to your how how you doing today. She what? probably had the same amount of anxiety as you did trying to get into a car. I mean, oh no, she had a lot of anxiety. And she hated it, but I just think that. More detail needs to be yeah. between. She well, I mean, she was a hysterical woman, right? So lock her up. Yeah. <laughs> um, famous actress Catherine Hepburn also struggled with uh, the transition. Apparently, she really sucked at the beginning and would blurter her lines all nervously. And she was actually fired from her first uh, sound production in 1928 because uh, she sucked so bad. <laughs> That's not the way it was written in the article. That's what the director said. I'm sorry, you <laughs> suck so bad. <laughs> but soon after, many actors, including Hepburn, uh, started taking elocution classes to train their voices for the big screen. Um, then in 1942, Edith Skinner, uh, a Broadway consultant and a student of William Tilley, the man who made world English, published a book called Speak with Distinction, which kind of... Uh, passed on Tilly's world English teaching and became the manual for Hollywood's standard version of English. Uh, directors liked the accent for its neutrality and supposed sophistication, which made it easy to use in films uh, that weren't setting specific. And uh, soon enough, uh, mastery of this 
weird ass accent became a prerequisite for actors trying to break into the industry. Um, okay, do you want to play play the clip I gave you? I have no segue. <laughs> Marissa, this sounds like a great time to play that clip that you had me queue up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. way the Queen and aristocrats are taught to speak. It has several quasi-British elements, such as a lack of roticity. Now this means that mid-Atlantic speakers drop their R's at the ends of words like winner or clear. They'll also use softer British vowels, dance, instead of dance, for instance. Another thing that stands out is the emphasis on clipped, sharp T's. Now, in American English, we often pronounce the T in words like writer and and water as D's. But transatlantic speakers will hit that T like it stole something. Writer, water. But again, this speech pattern isn't completely British, nor completely American. Instead, it's a form of English that's hard to place, and that's part of why Hollywood loved it. There's also a theory that technological constraints help Mid-Atlantic's popularity. According to Professor Jay Obersky, this nasally clipped pronunciation <laughs> is a vestige from the early days of radio. Stop it! <laughs> uh, he said technological. I wanted to see what he was going to say. Okay. I, you know what? I, maybe... If I find a better clip, can we shove one at the end of it, too? Because I just didn't want one that was just totally fast, but I do think we should probably have an old-timey example. Okay. Okay, I'll find you one before the end of today. Uh, But we could put it at the end. Anyway, uh, so even though it was so popular for a while, uh, by the mid-40s, Americans no longer wanted it. Um... The transatlantic accent, wait, mm-hmm. give me a second. It's one of those things where I cut and paste a sentence, but I don't understand what the sentence means. Oh, this is interesting. I was trying to find a clip for you. Uh, they say that this is how Fraser Crane speaks. I was not good to you, butthead. Oh, sorry. Well, well, I'll just cut out this part because you were doing something else anyway. Okay. 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 Um. That's why people think. Okay. <laughs> okay. Wait. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. Um. Despite its popularity, um, you know, in in the golden age of Hollywood, um, by the mid '40s, Americans no longer really wanted this accent. Um. They weren't really a fan of, generally, I think, the snootiness and the neutrality. And they kind of wanted to see more diversity in their films and see, like, something more relatable and themselves reflected on the screen. Um, And by the late 50s, that accent all but disappeared. Um, I will say, though, Pete already, did you (laughs) cut out what you said? Yeah, I'll cut it out. Okay, okay. So, um, where is the transatlantic accent now? Is it around? Um, I mean, I will say, I do feel like, I do feel like some auctioneers still do sound like they're using it. But, uh, no, mostly just in parodies of people from oldie times. However, people have said that in Fraser, uh, the Crane brothers, Niles Crane and Fraser Crane, do use it. 
Um, in Hunger Games, in the movie, uh, it's said to be used by Effie Trinket. And I, I gotta listen to this, but in Star Wars, it said that Darth Vader has a very deep baritone version of this. I could see that. I am, that I'm your father. Oh, yeah, you're right. And that Princess Leia and Queen Amidala switch the accent on and off, using it specifically when they're in formal political discussions. That makes sense. And apparently this, uh, I don't remember the name of it, but whichever American horror story takes place in old Hollywood, uh, you could find, I think they actually have scenes where people are learning the accent. Um, but, uh, Pete, I have a challenge for you now. Can you tell me a sentence in the transatlantic accent? I gotta make up a sentence? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Oh, Pete is like doing a dance to get into the into the accent. There are many types of sentences, all with different structures and complexities. In its most basic form, a sentence is made up of a subject and a predicate, which is the verb and the words that follow. You're better at it than me. I kept trying to do it today, and it kept sounding like a southern accent. I just tried to be as snooty as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Where is the transatlantic accent? No, no, now I'm going too British. See, I go too hard. It's all or nothing with me. I think, I think, um, it is, it is interesting because there are so many British accents. You know, mm-hmm. that would be like saying, "Oh, you sound American." It's like, do I sound southern? Do I sound northeastern? Do I sound like so? Yeah. Maybe you're thinking too much on the British side. I think I am. Uh, actually, that reminds me, I was watching a clip, a really old Colbert episode, the where three people from Downton Abbey, who are British, uh, were on the show, and he was like, oh, I think we like Downton Abbey because they all have British accents. And he's like, here's a scene from Downton Abbey. Do it in American accents. And the one guy did posh American, and then the one girl did, like, valley girl American, and then the other person did, like, dumb person American, whatever that <laughs> But yeah, you're right. There's many, many different, different ways you can tackle a language. Um, but anyway, this is a fairly uh, short episode. But I basically just wanted to be like, why do people talk so weird in the old times? We're, we're th- gonna we're gonna take a a look at two things that I found, which may or may not satisfy the hunger of Marissa. <laughs> cool. I suppose you'd still be attracted to any man of spirit, though. There's something engaging about it, this goddess business. Something more challenging to the male than the uh, more obvious charms. Really? Really. We're very... Did you guys hear that? Really? Really. <laughs> this is the Philadelphia story, which yeah. is about Marissa. <laughs> Bane, you know. This citadel can and shall be taken, and I'm the boy to do it. You seem... Quite contemptuous of me all of a sudden. No, Red. None of you. Never of you. It's black and white. Why is he calling her Red? Red, you could be the finest woman on this earth. I'm contemptuous of something inside of you. You either can't help or make no attempt to. Your so-called strength. Your prejudice against weakness. Your blank intolerance. Is that all? That's the gist of it. Because you'll never be a first-class human being or a first-class woman. 
Until you've done. This got mean. Yeah, old movies are all often upsetting. <laughs> Marry that guy. What? George, <laughs> I'm going to. Why, why not? Well, I don't know. I thought I'd be for it at first, but you just don't seem to match up. Then the fool's with me. Well, maybe so, but all the same, now you can't do it. No. No. <laughs> okay, we're not listening to that anymore. And they have audiobook narrator Matt Haynes takes on the transatlantic accent using the Beastie Boys. I can't stand it. I know you planned it. We're going to set it straight to this Watergate. I can't stand rocking when I'm in here, because your crystal ball ain't so crystal clear. I don't like that guy. It's okay. <laughs> in my research is, okay, I can't stand it. This crystal ball is not so clear. That's fine. But why do you have to say it like, I can't stand it. This crystal ball, like, why is it so, why is the rhythm so weird? The rhythm reminds me of Stephen, what the fuck is his name? <laughs> Stephen Shatner? William Shatner. Okay. For a second, I thought you were going to say Stephen Hawking, and then I was going to be like, oh my god, Marissa. <laughs> it just seems so, a weird rhythm, but yeah, I think that's interesting. I'm kind of fascinated with the fact that it's like a made-up accent. I think that's the most interesting part, yeah, like that it's totally, like, it's one of those things that just shows you the impact of culture, right? Because, like, somebody was like, oh, this sounds like it should be the English, like, the way that English speakers speak. And if we're going to be making movies and sending them across the world uh, to other people, then we should really set this precedent. And then, like, you know, like, you watch a show or a movie enough, and then you start to, like, speak like that, you know, character or something like that. Yeah. We have all probably watched, like, a, like a, I don't want to say, like, an actual Western movie, but, like, a show or a movie where people have, like, a Southern accent, and then you walk out of there having, like... Like having to, you know, kick the twang from your boots. The tw- what? <laughs> There's twang on the floor. But yeah, I think uh, it makes sense. It's just funny uh, that it's that it's made up. Yeah, and then people just started to buy it, basically. Oh God, I would I would kill to attend a three hour uh, college lecture on the transatlantic accent not even joking i have such a boner for like etymology and language evolution and nonsense Ugh, i would love i want to lecture on this because I, I i you know i skimmed the surface i at least gave you an idea where i came from but i, I was really, gonna say that marissa that's what you're supposed to do <laughs> no but i want to like really dig deep i feel like I give an overview but i mm-hmm. want like a scholar i want a linguist to really break it down for me i think you know a linguist no anyway um do you have any plugs or do you have any questions first don't have questions uh i don't think it's i don't think i have any questions if if you were gonna do like a, a new world order move and you wanted to make the accent that the whole world should be speaking is there anyone that you would pick in particular Hmm. Do you have an answer? No. Maybe Cheech and Chong. <laughs> uh, off the top of my head, I'm thinking Southern Belle, but I'm sure there's something I like better. Yeah. What is a Cheech and Chong accent? A Hispanic accent? 
Yeah, but they like lean into a lot of sounds. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've never seen a Cheech and Chong movie, but that sounds fun. Um, there is, I think, a Cheech and Chong Christmas song coming up, so that'll be oh. up your alley. We'll put that on the playlist in December. All right. <laughs> Plugs. This week, I wanted to plug um, Sheepdog Peanut Butter Whiskey because they have this company called Black Sheep. I don't know what the sheep and peanut butter connection is, but they had this one called Black Sheep, and it was peanut butter whiskey, and it was really good, except it cost a lot of money. And when mm-hmm. I say a lot of money, like, I don't want to spend more than $20 on a bottle of yeah. booze. I don't even want to spend $20 on a bottle of booze. Right. 17 max. So I feel like this is like 37 or something. I don't know why that's in my head. And then you could get a you could get like a smaller bottle for the what you would pay for a regular bottle of Sheepdog peanut butter whiskey. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Um is peanut butter whiskey good? It is. Okay. Uh, it sounds a little rough to me, but I, I'm i struggling with my alcohol tolerance lately, and I swear if I have to give up alcohol, I'm going to have to start doing cocaine because <laughs> device. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm not, I've never done cocaine ever in my life. I am going to plug, since we're talking about foods, uh, oh, actually, I'm going to have a, not a, I'm going to pre-plug question. Pete, have you watched the Winnie the Pooh Christmas special? Mm. I I recall wa- watching winter ones. Do Should you I look wa- it up? No, just do you watch them in your like now or as a child? I mean, fairly recently, but not like probably in the last three years. Okay, because it's just I was gonna wonder if it was worth plugging. I text my boyfriend, "What are you up to?" My boyfriend, who is a 34-year-old cardiologist, he was like, I just finished watching the Pooh Christmas special. And I was like, that's interesting. You know, no, ju- no judgment. I watch I watch children's cartoons all the time. But since you're a, a Pooh connoisseur, I was like, is it even worth it? Or was he just like Christmas no matter what? So yeah, I, I, just- think, I think he's looking for that sweet spot. That my mom is also looking for right now. She has started to dip into Hallmark territory because um, mm-hmm. she just kind of wants to get that family vibe going uh, as she leans into the holiday season. And uh, I mean, hopefully it didn't happen with Aaron, but my mom just walks away disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's just trying to chase that high he used to have so he just has to keep watching him till he gets there yeah i mean why do you watch the charlie brown christmas every year yeah because it gives me that high yeah (laughs) speaking of cocaine (laughs) (laughs) uh i mean i obviously plug yeah you know what never mind i was gonna plug the food but it's too fringe i'm just gonna plug the charlie brown thanksgiving and one of my favorite podcasters uh, Dinosaur Dracula from the Purple Stuff podcast. Um, every November, he recreates the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving meal for himself as he watches it. If you have not seen it yet, that would be a plate of popcorn, pretzels, jelly beans, buttered toast, 
and some ambiguous parfait, possibly ice cream. So it sounds delicious. I was actually thinking of doing it this year, but then I was like, do I want to buy all those things? And then wasn't as easy as you think. Yeah, and especially like, finding jelly beans in November. <laughs> that was the oh, hardest I... part for me. <laughs> oh, you tried? You did it? I did this as a sandwich portrait uh, a couple of oh, years you... ago, maybe. Yeah. Okay. I could, that, that kind of sounds familiar. I mean, it'd be even harder for me because I'd have to buy like gluten-free pretzels, sugar-free jelly beans. So it would spend way too much money. But anyway, I recommend watching that special. If you know, don't watch Charlie Brown Christmas yet. You have. It's not even December. Then, then you won't have anything to bring you. Just joy turn to- it off when that second half starts. What? Which part? Second half. Where they talk about the pilgrims and shit. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's whatever. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, so watch that and get in the holiday spirit. That's it. Hey everybody, um, we got a Patreon. We got a phone number. We got an email address. We got a Facebook page. We got a Twitter account. We got no Instagram. At Vandal. Um But yeah. Follow us. Look into all those things. If it would help for you to have more information about them, I defer to my co-host, Marissa Phillips. Uh, call us at 570-POD11. As he said, slide into my DMs at Vandal non-sexually. And I will also... That's that's is vandal if you're using a transatlantic accent. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, <laughs> it is vandal. No, I can't do it. Anyway, uh, also, usually we follow our episode with doing a Patreon exclusive coverage of my fantasy football. I said let's not do that anymore. Just if you have been following on Patreon, I will just say I won last week and I wasn't even looking. The person I was against also wasn't looking. <laughs> and both had horrible scores, but his was worse. But his name was Football Hesitant, so I almost feel bad. <laughs> so glad that account is not a woman. <laughs> anyway, bye! Hi. Hi.